0: Alright, so just wanna give you a heads up. Tonight we're gonna to be uh gonna be moving through a lot of scripture and, and flipping around and moving around uh, almost cover to cover, so. Uh, why don't everybody just uh, do a little stretch? Do some shoulder shrugs, mm-hmm. stretch the neck, stretch the fingers, right? Mm-hmm. Don't anybody get hurt. Uh, so last week, we talked in John 15, and we talked about abiding in anxiety. Is it wrong? Yeah, no, we have a run after this, so I'm actually, I am stretching. OK. <laughs> All right, so we talked about John 15, and we talked about the idea of abiding. And that, how do we know what we're abiding in? What are some qualities of abiding? We looked at worth. Right? What are we placing our worth in? Right? What's the most thing of greatest worth in our lives? Is it God in His kingdom? Or is it other things? Right, we looked at the Word. Right? What do we take as truth in our lives? Is it the Word of God? Or is it something else? Right, and those things are going to lead into our work. What are we working towards? Is it God in His kingdom? Or our own little personal thing, or our side thing. So worth word and work, right? And all of that leads into prayer. If you remember from the passages last week, right? It, it all leads into prayer. And so let's let's dive into John fifteen. Look at verses five through eight. It says, "I am the vine." It right, says so believers in Christ were called to bear fruit. Right? This is external and internal, right? External fruit is we're we're making disciples, we're evangelizing, we're telling others about Christ. We're making disciples. Right? And when you think of fruit, maybe you think of internal fruit. You may think of Galatians 5, 22 and 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So God is working on the core of our being as we abide. He's transforming us through his word. He's transforming us inside, and that affects the out. We're helping and serving others. We're making disciples. But there's that verse 6, right? A lot of people get caught on. Let's look at verse 6 again. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Right? This is a stark warning for those who are not abiding, particularly those who claim to be in Christ but say, well, keep God at arm's length. I don't really want to abide in his word. I don't want to abide in his people. I don't want to be about his kingdom. Right? This is a stark warning. If you're there, that, that's a dangerous place to be. I urge you to just talk with someone about it. Don't waste your life following after things that are of less worth than God and his kingdom. So now we get to verse 7. Right? Let's look at verse 7 again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That right? almost sounds like it's not something out of the Bible, right? So it's just ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. My daughter's favorite album right now is Aladdin, right? And it's the genie and the wishes, right? That's almost what I thought of when I saw wish. Right? It almost sounds like, like the genie. But some of your translations may say desire. Some of them say, "Will whatever you will, whatever you desire." This is a pretty amazing promise, right? To ask whatever you wish, and God will grant it. Does anybody notice anything at the start of this verse, at the start of this promise? In verse seven. Word, if it's a conditional promise. Right? And it's a conditional thing. Right? So the, this isn't an Amazon wish list. It's not the Santa Claus wish list. Right? Sometimes we think of a prayer like that. I fall into that trap sometimes. God, we need this. We need this. I want this. I want this. Right? And that's, that's not what we're after here. Asking God for things is about bearing fruit and furthering his kingdom. So sometimes it's better just to look at an example, right? You ever been in class, professors talking about theory, and you're just like, hey, can we just do an example? We need to see how it works. So we're going to look at three examples of prayer tonight. And for each passage, we're going to look at how the person is abiding. Remember how we judge those, right? It's worth, word, and work. We'll look at what they asked God to do. So let's turn to Genesis 18. Hopefully you've stretched. We can navigate back to Genesis 18. Whenever you bring up the topic of prayer, this verse, this passage usually comes up. Verse 18, Genesis 18, 22. If you're not familiar with the context, this is Abraham uh, interceding on behalf of Lot. The passage opens: God has gotten, he's heard that there are cities in the world that the sin is so great that, that he's come down to see if he needs to judge them. Right? He's not rushing to judgment, but he's, he's heard how great the sin is, and he's rushing down to judge. It just so happens that he has a special relationship with Abraham, and he has dinner with Abraham. So this is after God has told Abraham, hey, I'm going out to look at these cities. I've heard they are abundantly wicked, and I, I need to judge them. This is a particular interest to Abraham. Why? We've got family in those cities. So we're going to pick up in 22. This is Abraham talking with God. So the men, there were two angels with them, those are the two men, they turned from there and went towards Sodom. And Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. All right, this, this whole interaction just blows my mind. First, Abraham is talking with the Lord. And Abraham is in this difficult spot. What does he do? He draws near. There's a troubling thing he's facing. There's difficulty. What does he do? He draws near. And he's just honest with God. God, you are just, but would you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Does it sound like God, that Abraham is concerned about God's glory and his character? The Lord responds He says, I will not sweep away the city for the sake of those 50. Now, there's a real subtle thing that's going to happen in the next part. Of, of uh, Abraham's discussion. Uh, maybe you've got a Bible that, uh, right? Maybe you look at the way it says "Lord" and it's in all caps. Does anybody's Bible do that? ESV does it. New King James NIV does it as well. Right? When you see "Lord" in all caps, that's a particular, special name for God. When you see it in all caps, that's Yahweh or Jehovah. Yahweh being from the Hebrew, Jehovah being from later translations. English. This is the most common name, name for God. Everyone you see in the Old Testament, the Lord, you're going to see Yahweh most of the time, and that's how Abraham has addressed the Lord so far. Yahweh, you're just. Would you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? But you're going to see something subtle in the next verses. You're going to see Lord with a capital L. And then lowercase. This is a different name for God. In English, it's a little confusing because it's caps, all caps, and. Right, this is a different name for God. This is Adonai. Right, this word is not used that often when talking about God. Right, and you'll see why in a minute. Adonai implies a master servant relationship, it's a term of submission. It says, you're the master, I'm the servant. Right, it's used very, not very often. The top of my head, it's really Abraham, Abraham and David that we use this term a lot. There's the idea of a master servant, and there's the idea of the master being responsible for that servant. Right, in some cases, the servant is powerless to do something, so there's an appeal to the master. We see see Abraham draw close to the Lord, draw close to Yahweh and Adonai. So we'll pick it up in verse 27. So the Lord just agreed at 50 people. It's almost like they're haggling. 27. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of those 50 are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he, the Lord answered, I will not destroy if I find 45 there. And again, he, Abraham, spoke and said, suppose 40 are there. He, the Lord, answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, oh, let not the Lord add and be angry, And I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it. I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Adonai. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, oh, let not the Lord, Adonai, be angry. And I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord, Yahweh, went his way. When he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now maybe you're not the only one thinking when you read this or hear this, like, Abraham, get to the point. Like If you've ever been in a part of a negotiation, like, God's not trying to negotiate to a number. Like, it's just, it's dwindling almost to zero. But Abraham, as he keeps saying, Adonai, is submitting to the Lord. He's appealing to the Lord. Abraham is saying to God, you are sovereign over this. Abraham desires for Lot and any other righteous people to be saved from judgment. Both for the people's sake and also for the Lord. He would prove to be just and merciful. So, from this discussion and from what we know about Abraham, would we say that Abraham abided and walked closely with God? See some head shakes? Yeah. Right? The The Lord meets Abraham, calls him out to go to a land that he doesn't know. What does Abraham do? He goes. Right? God says, I'm going to make a great nation... I know you don't have any kids right now, and y'all are getting older, but I'm going to give you a son. Abraham believes. Right, and in an interesting way, Abraham is starting to fulfill part of his covenant. As God said, I will bless other nations through you, Abraham. What is Abraham doing? He's interceding for these people that he knows some of them. He knows a lot. But he's interceding for a whole stretch of cities. He's appealing to them, Lord, don't have mercy. Abraham, though not perfect, has placed God as the most worthy thing in his life. He's trusting in the word and the covenant that God has made. He is working to see others saved. Abraham is abiding with God, and God is abiding with him in a physical way. They had dinner together, and they talked. So how does this petition end, right? It was five people in this whole valley full of cities. Sadly, if you read the account in 19, the angels that go, they find, they cannot find five. If you're wondering how could God do this to a bunch of cities, read the account in Genesis 19. It's not a place you'd want to go. Of the Lord executes judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. But the two men pull Lot, his wife, and Lot's two daughters, literally from the fire. Lot takes his time, right? The angels come and say, hey, we need to get out of here. We need to get out. Judgment is coming. And Lot's like wanting to pack his bags. Talk to some people. The angels literally drag him out to a safe place. So what do you think? Did God answer Abraham's prayer? Theologians love to debate this. Did Abraham change God's mind? Or is God's mind already set before he came in? It's an interesting topic of discussion. It's just my opinion. I think that the Lord had already set in mind to save Lot. He was putting his... His patience on display in talking with Abraham. So what is the result? If we flip ahead to Genesis 19:27, this is in the aftermath of the cities being destroyed. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before with the Lord, Yahweh. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked up. Behold, the smoke of the land went up, like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. And he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. The Lord answered Abraham's prayer. Abraham was indeed interceding for the people in those towns, but he was also desperately interceding for Lot, his family. Lord, please save them the Lord was gracious. He did not sweep away the righteous with the wicked. So I ask you tonight, has God put someone in your heart to intercede for, to pray for? Right, as, we, as we pray and go about our day, are we, are we thinking of others and their salvation and their walk with the Lord and saying, Lord, save this person, save that family. Are we interceding for others around us? Has the Lord put someone on your heart to pray for? Husbands, are you praying for your wives? Wives, are you praying for your husbands? Parents, are you praying for your kiddos? Maybe the Lord is putting a neighbor on your heart, maybe a co-worker. Right? We have a lot of missionaries at crew that we support. Will you pray for them as well? So we just looked at a godly man, pray for mercy. Now we're going to look at a mother, pray for a son. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. So if you're not familiar with with 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to be talking about a woman named Hannah. My daughter is named Hannah, so we, we kind of named her a little bit after this passage. But Hannah is the wife of, I'm going to say, Elkanah, right? I don't know if anybody's heard that name before. Right? But she's in a bit of a weird situation, right? Because Elkanah has two wives. There's this other wife, I won't try to butcher her name, Right, she's able to have lots of kids. Right, and Hannah is not able to have kids at this point. And it's, we're not told that Hannah's being punished for sin. We're not told that you know it's there's any sin or disobedience involved. It simply says the Lord closed her womb. That's a difficult situation. Right, and it and it says that the two wives. Or really, the one wife teases Hannah because of this. And it goes on year after year after year. Right? And this, this drives Hannah to a very dark, quote, mental place. So we're going to pick up in verse 9. They've just had a big family meal. They've come into town to worship at the temple. We pick up in verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, No razor shall touch his head. Can you identify with this woman at all? There's this bitter weeping and praying for for something. And for many years, God has said, no. It's a difficult place to be in. But that's not the end of the story. Notice, notice what Hannah is petitioning God for. She's not saying, give me kids so this other woman will leave me alone. Right? So that I can feel some way equal to her or she can stop looking down her nose at me. Why does she ask for a son? She said, Lord, if you give me a son, I'm going to give him right back to serve you. She wants God's kingdom to grow. She wants a child that will serve the Lord. If the Lord would grant this request, she vows to give him back to the Lord. So let's keep reading in verse 12. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, who's the priest in the temple, observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from me. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my greatest anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the Lord of Israel grants your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And the woman went on her way, ate, and her face was no longer sad. Right? Right? You get the feeling that Eli maybe is starting to get a little cynical. Maybe he feels like he's seen this before. Somebody came into the temple. Right? Whatever, whatever we think of Eli, right? This woman is in a very dark place, bitter, vexation, great anxiety. Yet in the midst of this difficult time, what is, what is Hannah doing? She's drawing near. Right? We saw Abraham in a difficult spot. He was powerless to do anything over it. What did he do? He drew near to the Lord. We see a long season of life for Hannah where she has this difficult problem. What is she doing? She continues to draw near to the Lord. And the Lord is going to meet her in that darkness. After she pleads her case, Eli sees the depth and sincerity of her despair. God through Eli brings peace to her despair. Her request has been heard. Maybe you already know the result keep reading in verse 19 they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the lord then they went back to their house at ramah and elkanah knew his wife knew hannah his wife and the lord remembered her and in due time hannah conceived and bore and she called his name samuel for she said i have asked for him from the lord many long years, right? She's had this other woman taunting her, teasing her, looking down at her. And the Lord remembers Hannah and says, now is the time. Here's your son. If you know anything about this son, he's one of the greatest people in history for Israel. He's one of the greatest prophets, one of the greatest judges, one of the greatest leaders. It all started with a praying mama. The only thing about Samuel, like, he leads Israel. uh, He transitions them from a a prophet-led people to a monarchy. Right? He anoints Saul. He anoints David. I believe he judges Israel for over 40 years faithfully. So we have a sweet, sweet outcome to a very bitter situation. It's a bitter season of many years. But let's look at our criteria and see how Hannah abided. What did she find most of greatest worth? I think it's safe to say Hannah saw God's kingdom as the thing of greatest worth. She would even give her child back for his glory. And God used that child for his kingdom in a great way. We also see in the midst of trouble, Hannah draws near and continues to pray and cry out to the Lord. This is an ongoing thing. This is year after year. Her trouble does not serve as an excuse to pull away from God. So often trouble comes and we we pull away. We say, God won't listen. God doesn't want to to do anything. No, that's the time to draw near. Draw near. What about the word? What is Hannah seeing as truth? Right? In verse 7, we're told that this other wife is telling Hannah dispar- discouraging things day in and day out. Right? And she doesn't believe it. She doesn't believe that is truth. She keeps seeking the Lord. She doesn't listen to the people around who are lying or pulling her away from the Lord. This is a woman of great, tremendous faith. Finally, work. Hannah proved faithful to her vow. She didn't try to keep the child back. She didn't try to pull a fast one. When the boy was ready, he was dedicated to service at the temple. It's safe to say that Hannah was abiding closely with the Lord, even in the midst of trouble and anxiety. She drew near. Lastly tonight, we'll look at one last prayer. And if you remember way back to John 15, where we started in all this last week, Jesus is giving his disciples some some words of comfort in the midst of a difficult night. They're worried about Jesus leaving. They're worried about Judas betraying them. They've been told Peter's going to betray us now. And Jesus is giving them words of comfort. He's saying, abide, abide in me. Does anybody remember what Jesus does after this? They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. What does Jesus do? He prays. So let's look at Luke 22, verse 39. Jesus praying in the garden is the next time Jesus prayed after telling his disciples to abide. It was a regular thing that he did to go outside the city and pray. But, the, but that prayer that night, he had great distress in his heart. So Luke 22, verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, Jesus knows that his hour has come, right? This is going to be physically. This will be the most difficult thing he'll ever go through. And spiritually, we can't imagine what he'll through spiritually. In a very candid moment from Jesus. He asks his father a simple question. If there's any way that I don't have to do this, can you make that happen? Jesus in his deity he knows the answer to this question has to be no. He knows it's the only way. Yet in his humanity, he's so distressed, he asks his father this question. And we all know the father's answer. No. this cup pass from you. Jesus humbles himself before the father. He makes his request knowing Father is sovereign. The Father's answer is no. However, the Father sends angels to comfort and strengthen his son. Can you imagine this scene? The disciples are stones throw away. What are they doing? Sleeping. But they're missing out on this great moment. So with Jesus experiencing this great anxiety. He gets heavenly help from his Father. So tonight, as, as we close, we're going to move into a time where we can have some discussion. I want to hear from you all. Sometimes as we are abiding with God and praying for things, God says no. I think we could go around the room and list a time where God said No. Yet he gives us the strength to endure. Sometimes God grants our requests like he did with Abraham, in a very gracious way. Sometimes he says, wait, like he did with Hannah. Something great and good is going to happen, but Hannah had to wait until the Lord's timing. Whatever situation you're facing, abide, draw close. from oh, God. Right? In Jesus's darkest hour, what did he do? He went and prayed, he drew near. So how we abide and how we pray are all linked together. What is the greatest thing of worth in my life? Is it God and his kingdom, or is it something else? Right? What word or whose words are you trusting the most? Is it God and his word? Or is it something else? To what end are you working for? Is it God and his kingdom? Serving others? Knowing the Lord more? Or is there something else that you're working toward? So we've got some... We pretty much just have one big group tonight. So we'll have some time to discuss. So I just have three questions tonight. So which example of prayer stands out most to you and why? we had Abraham, Hannah, and Jesus. And can you remember a time when God answered your prayer? And then, not tongue-in-cheek, how can we pray for each other? All right, I'll give give my answers quickly, and then I want to hear from you all. As far as which example of prayer stands out most. It was hard to pick one. Because I I love all three of these passages. But but Abraham. Right. Just his boldness. Essentially he's haggling with the divine. Like. It's hard to get over that thought. And just kind of the epic nature of the stakes. Right. They're on this cliff overlooking these cities. Abraham is. I them. Let the faithfulness and patience of God through that whole episode. I want to share a little bit about a time when God answered prayer in my life. Um, So I just realized this today. A lot of times when I travel, uh, difficulties happen at home. And it started back in high school. I went to Haiti on a mission trip and it's a great mission trip it was awesome uh, but this is in 2000 so i didn't have a cell phone right parents imagine sending your kid somewhere with no cell phone no email we had one satellite phone it was like hundred dollars a minute like ultra emergency right um so about halfway through the trip i got a call from home on the satellite phone so I'm in Haiti, my family's, my dad's are in Texas, I'm a high schooler, right? and they call and say, hey, dad's had a heart attack. And he's okay right now, but you know, it's it's pretty serious. And so I'm at a spot where I can't leave, right? Like, if, like we're, we're that remote in Haiti, so like I can't leave, I can just get like a phone call every couple of days. And so, I'm at a spot where there's great difficulty like, and, I, and I, thankfully I had people around me to push me to abide and pray, right? And uh, one of the one of the sponsors on our trip, once we got back to a place with some technology, uh, she got me this picture, right? And at night I would look at that picture and think of my dad and think, you know, Jesus, are you, we're watching over my dad, right? Please watch over him. Let him be there when I come home, please. Right? You know, and some of you have already met my dad, so you know the ending of the story. Thankfully, I'm not a medical person. So we have some medical people here, right? But the doctor said that he had 99% blockage on his main artery. Right? I don't I don't remember the Greek, Latin term, but they call it the widowmaker. So God, God preserved his life. God was faithful. In the midst of a difficult time, I was able to draw near. God said Mm. yes.